Hey, hey, it's podcast day. Hey, guys, it's Barbara Savona with Sprout Marketing, and I'm excited to bring you another episode of Marketing Home, Marketing You. So just so you guys remember, my goal here is to bring you the best interviews, the best resources, and all things multifamily marketing, retention, and career development. And you guys have been telling me that you love the interviews. So I'm happy to hear that because I love the interviews. Um, I think it's so cool to connect with different individuals in multifamily that all have their own story, but also just to see where a career in multifamily can take you. So many start by accident and the trajectory of their career ends up being really incredible and just so unique. So my goal is that that says to you that really you can do so many different things. You don't have to feel stuck in your current situation. The sky's the limit. And today's guest is a story of being resilient of being open to opportunities and just taking the next right step. So for those of you that don't know, I want to introduce you to Elizabeth Francisco. She is the president and co-founder of Resmin, which is a property management software for multifamily. If you've ever been to a trade show, you guys know Resmin, and likely you've seen Elizabeth there. She's usually surrounded by people. She is just an incredible people person, a great communicator. She's got an infectious energy and just a really smart lady. So I'm excited to bring you her story. Um, if you've ever found yourself as a single mom, a caregiver, and suddenly feeling alone, not knowing necessarily how you're going to make ends meet and what the next step is, then you're going to really relate to Elizabeth's story. She shares all. So this is a two-part interview, but I don't want you to have to wait till next week to hear it all. So we're going to release part one today, and in a couple of days, you'll get the second part of this interview. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear this conversation with Elizabeth. So I'm going to zip it and I'm going to let you guys listen in on my conversation with Elizabeth Francisco of Resman. Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast, a show for busy multifamily and real estate professionals that want to kick butt in their careers without sacrificing their lives or their sanity. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. So Elizabeth, I am so thankful that I'm having the opportunity to talk to you today. I know that you um, have carved out an incredible career for yourself in multifamily. And in fact, you're celebrating your 25th year in the industry. Is that right? Well, it's been a little more than 25. 25 is just all I'm admitting to today. Okay. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, that's fair. <laughs> that's fair. When I, when I first met you, I literally have to tell you, just the word that comes up to me is energy. You have such infectious <laughs> energy. And then when I got to know you a little bit more and just recently even hearing your story of how you got into the multifamily industry, I thought this is something that a lot of people need to hear because I think there's a lot of a lot of people, but especially women that are going to find themselves or have found themselves in this very same situation. So I think your story mm-hmm. is extremely inspiring. Can we maybe kick off by you sharing a little bit about how you ended up in property management? Oh, sure. And it is quite the story. Um, And there's aspects of the story. It's funny. A lot of people probably don't know my story because I will admit there were times in my life and for a long period of my life, I was a little ashamed of my background. And um, 
I had to overcome that. And I also had to realize that it's our past who makes us who we are. You know, I saw a saying once that said, you know, the butterfly doesn't look back in shame because it was a caterpillar. And I loved that when I read that. And I thought that's so true. And, you know, I realized that it's an important part. So for me, you know, the way I, I kind of came up, um, my mom's been uh, disabled since I was um, 12 years old. And so we kind of had a little bit of a rougher life. Uh, I've been working since I was 12. I helped support my mom and uh, my brother. And so getting, you know, out of that environment was, or getting just to a point where I could do more was important to me. So my work ethic started really young. And when I, I knew that I wanted and needed to go to college, so I got myself in and it's so much, it's so funny. I went in for accounting and then discovered I was really good in science. So I was a biochemist major and I thought, Oh, this is it. This is going to be my career. Like I really like genetics and I can't explain it, but don't be too impressed. Cause I can't spell my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well then you know what? We're going to be the perfect friends because when you said science, math, those are the things I can stand, but I love to write. So uh, we'll help each other. Yes. Grammarly.com people It saved me and it continues to save me to this day. <laughs> But, you know, so I found myself and um, going to college and then I, you know, relationships happen and, you know, I had two children when I was going to college. Um, so my college years kind of were extended and I loved it. But then I found myself single overnight. And unfortunately, there wasn't going to be any child support coming to help. And there wasn't really a family on the other side to, to step in either. So now it was just me, Grant and Jordan and, of course, my mom. And uh, it's not like in her financial situation, she could really do much either. And um, I didn't know what to do. I was really, I mean, it was an overwhelming moment because, you know, I don't, I don't think I had any money in my bank account the day that it happened because um, we just pay bills or whatever. And um, somebody in college was telling me, you should think about the apartment industry. They were a leasing agent and they got a discount on rent. And uh, they felt, they said that, Least give you a break there because you're gonna have so many expenses. And so that's really how it started. And I remember, you know, two things happened. First off, Lord to be, Lord above, the powers that be, really must have had a hand in helping me because I went to Sadowski Stars, which was led by Ann Sadowski at the time. And if you guys don't know this legend of our industry, you should. You can look her up, she's amazing. But that happened to be the, the agency I went into, and she happened to be the one that trained me. And through that training, we formed an incredible bond and she's been my mentor ever since. And so that's how I got in the industry. And literally the first place I went offered me a job, but through her guidance, I didn't take it. <laughs> and so I, I waited around and I found a great company. I thought would be a good fit. And that was Ewing at the time. And uh, my first year in the industry, I'll never forget because I saved it. I made $28,000 for the year gross, not net. And my daycare was 14. Oh my goodness. It was, you know, things were tight. I can do things with mac and cheese that would surprise you. <laughs> but that's also the extent of my cooking ability. So uh, nobody in my family ever wants to even hear the word mac and cheese. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of how I got started in, in this industry. And um, I didn't have any plans on staying. I really love science. I really wanted to work my way to get back and finish my degree because I didn't finish it. I would have been starting my, my senior year. And, um, but as I told you earlier, I think I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. 
It's funny because even in college, I had, because, you know, I extended, um, my, my time in college was having the two children, I'd take time off. Um, I had to take computer science classes. And I was such an obstinate little shit that I didn't pass the first one. And my professor was like, oh, you're not meant for technology. And they gave me a 70. You're and, kidding. No, and it was on Pascal. It was a programming language. And then after Jordan, I had came back. And it, the class I took didn't qualify anymore. So I had to take it again with that same professor. Only then it was Turbo Pascal, which is the coding language. And um, I didn't pass it again. <laughs> I was just pissed. I'm like, what does this have to do? I'm going to use microscopes. I was just, I was just being, I was just being a dumb 20 year old. <laughs> and it's just ironic because now look what I'm doing for a living. I'm like, okay, talk about being hard headed. If I had just been a little open-minded, I probably would have had a much easier time doing this. <laughs> well, you know, what's so great though about your experiences. I think so many, you know, we, we mix in a lot of the same different networking events and you, you talk to people and so many by chance happened in this industry and then they never leave. I know, I know. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to tell you about a free resource that I put out every single month. If you go to watchyourbusinesssprout.com forward slash calendar, every single month, there's a new creative holiday calendar plus a social media checklist and a little training video that helps schedule out your social media for the upcoming month. Once you download it, you're on the list and you'll get it every single month. And it is our most downloaded resource. So go and check it out. Again, watchyourbusinesssprout.com forward slash calendar. What I think is so cool about your story is you picked up a lot of different experiences that really led you in a totally different direction. So can you talk a little bit about what the years in between before Resmin were like? Oh my goodness. Well, most of my career has been in the operator side and, uh, you know, I have been blessed. I ended up in a series of companies that saw my potential and were willing to invest in me. They saw the hunger. And um, I, I have made it a point to go back as my own bucket list item and I've met with all but one person. There's still one person I'm chasing down um, to say thank you because if it hadn't been for the way they encouraged me, put up with me at times, supported me, um, they saw my potential before I did. And uh, because coming in that situation too, it, it took a toll on me. I mean, at one point we had food stamps and Medicare and like even just going into the offices was, you know, to continue the enrollments and stuff like that because of where, you know, I, the way I grew up, I was, that's just, I was humiliated. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to be reliant on that. And uh, it kind of took a toll on my self-esteem there for a while. And so having these other people that, you know, saw that I was struggling with those things and they really pulled me through and pulled me up. Um, that's what helped me navigate my career. And, um, you know, the, the blessing for me is that I don't always know the answer and I never did, but somewhere along the lines, I figured out pretty quickly to come in and absorb, learn, master what's in place today. And because, and maybe it's the science mind, I'm very quizzical about, well, what could it be versus what is it? But the wrong thing to do is to come into a new environment and think you have all the answers. You know, learning things the hard way sucks. And so, you have to give credit to whatever's in process in any new role, any new position, new company you, you come into, there's already been lessons learned and you need to be respectful of that and kind of take that information in. So once you understand and master what, what they have today, if you really feel you can bring more to the table or you can help make it better, make everyone more effective um, and get better results, 
because you've taken the time to show respect for what's there, they're more, my personal experience is people have been more apt to hear me out when I said, here's what we're doing today, but this is what I think we could be doing and why and what I think the end result will be. I have never really heard anybody explain it like that. And I love the idea that you just said of being respectful of lessons learned. So it's not, a lot of times people are always like, okay, we can change, we can improve, but they don't acknowledge the beauty or the, the work that's been done already. And to me, wow, what an incredible lesson to say, but then not being afraid to say, but what could it be? And Mm -hmm. I, I do think that's the science because I don't think everybody (laughs) thinks like that, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, maybe I just, I just, I seem to temper the conversation because everybody's got their own baby in the business and they love that baby. (laughs) Nobody wants to think there's anything wrong with the baby. So you have to be respectful. And, And you also have to understand that different decisions are made at different times in organizations because of the circumstances that you're not there to appreciate. So what do you think then along the way before you, you know, launched into these different endeavors, what were some of the skill sets that maybe you didn't realize then that you were picking up, but that proved to be invaluable later? Um, (laughs) It's so funny. So, okay. Anybody that hears this this knows me is a talkative, energetic person. And I know this, but believe it or not, I was shy when I first got into the industry. I did not believe that. (laughs) I know nobody ever does, but you know, I'm a, I, I was, I was really shy. I mean, I was a book nerd and, um, in school and I kind of kept to myself cause my situation and, um, I was working 40 hours. I mean, I, I didn't have time for friends. And, um, so when I first got my first job with Ewing, I remember I, I'm, I kid you not. I know the only reason I got offered a permanent job is because I'm such a, a detail oriented little person that I came in and I knocked out all the paperwork and all the administrative stuff for all the leasing staff at the time. And I did it so well and so fast that they're like, okay, we can teach her how to lease. And what I did at first, I just parroted. it. I literally said verbatim what other people were saying until I figured out how to make it my own. Um, Cause I would do work, but I'd be close enough to eavesdrop to who was, you know, the best leasing agent so I could pick it up. And, you know, so I think the skill set there was learning to listen, um, to appreciate what other people are doing. And then that's where that thinking came. How can I make it mine? How can I make it better? Um, I can also tell you I'm, I'm pretty passionate and emotional. Now, I know there's a lot of conversation about whether that's good or bad in the workplace and in business, but that is who I am. And I also think it's that passion that drives me to push harder than other people. So I don't know that having, because if you're passionate, you're going to have emotions. So I don't know that I agree with it. There's not a place for that in business. Um, but I think that is, it's helped me drive myself I had to learn about communicating. So one of my lessons when I worked with ECI out of Atlanta is I would feel very passionate about something. I'm sure people that are listening have been in a situation, especially if you're still on site, that something's come down from the corporate office that you know darn good and well, they are not making the best decision for the asset or the employees and they're not, the results are not gonna be what they expect. And you can be really passionate about trying to push back on it. But if you don't know how to, you know, the art of the delivery of that communication, if you don't know how to take a step back and figure out how to make the argument and you just come at it from passion or gut, you won't be heard. And that's where I had to, you know, my biggest lesson there was learning how to communicate in a way that not only would I be heard, but I I would have the problem, the solution and the results, but I'd back it up with data. And that's, that's probably the biggest lesson that I had to learn. Um, and it was funny, I, I think Phil Carlock, 
uh, to this day, would probably still say I'm one of his favorite little thorns in his side because we <laughs> had some we had some pushback here and there. But he really did. That was the real. That was the first time I think that I um, I really got. I learned that lesson. I learned it the hard way too. Well, and you know what? I think that you said something so interesting because one of the things I wanted to ask you is almost what advantage do women have in business that maybe they don't know, like a secret power. And maybe you just hit the nail on the head because I'm in team. Same thing. I I'm in team that I feel emotions. I feel things strongly and passionately. And I many times have credited that to the times that I've had success. So do you think that that's maybe a woman's superpower? I think it could be. Yeah. I think it's funny at one point. So I've been lucky enough that when I worked at summit properties, um, and then when I worked at, at ECI, um, I was honored with some, you know, awards at each one. And the only thing that came to mind when I got to get up and acknowledge the award was that I'm so passionate. Like, and I think I even made the joke to Henry at the time, who was the, the founder of ECI. I was like, well, I know you own the asset, but at the end of the day, it's my asset. <laughs> and I'm, that's where the passion comes from. I run it like I own it. Um, and so I think that passion can be um, a woman's superpower. Superpower. I also think what I've seen is women tend to have a higher degree of emotional intelligence. And I think, you know, more and more you're hearing that, you know, the three legs of the stool for the CEOs and what people are looking for now is there's a lot more focus on the emotional intelligence and EQ for those top leadership positions because of how we engage with our employees. And what we now have a lot of evidence that shows the level of engagement of your team equates to different, you know, higher profitability and higher productivity. And um, so I think that's a superpower that we do have. Yeah. And, you know, I think something else that maybe is unique to you and, and, and maybe, you know, I know there's others that have this, but I feel like you learn to deal with setbacks in the different things that the different endeavors mm-hmm. from the very beginning, because what I said about mm-hmm. you earlier was that, you know, you have this infectious energy, but it's a very happy energy. So mm-hmm. how do you keep that happy energy, that outlook when things have kind of kicked you in the butt? I'm so glad you asked that. And that wasn't even on our pre-list. <laughs> That's right. I had to throw a few surprise things. <laughs> That's okay. No, because um, it's a choice. 100% it is a choice. I make, I choose to be that way. Um, because there has, I have had a moment in my career um, where I did let something get to me. And it had to do with a partnership gone, gone bad. It didn't work out. And because I am so, I believe in people's potential and I'm a pretty giving and trusting person, which is a strength. And I also know it can sometimes set me up for some failure. Um, I don't believe I should have to change for that. I just try to be more cautious and learn from it. But there's a situation that played out that, um, you know, it wasn't right. And it took a toll on me. And I found myself being very angry and resentful, which is not like me. And I noticed this change and it was about three months, it was over about three months and it affected my attitude coming into my job. It affected the people around me. That's actually, that's really where I started to notice it is I noticed the company feeds off my energy and I know that. And so when my energy changed, it, it kind of startled some of the people around me and it started to change the way they were thinking about the company and the business. And you know, just one moment, it just kind of hit me. And I realized, oh my gosh, you're doing this. You, you've got to, you have to pull yourself out of this. 
and you need to turn it around. And the past is the past. You can't look in the rearview mirror, learn from it what you can. And, you know, where are the positives you have today? Like, so maybe it's you start journaling and, and I would write down like my, what am I, what am I grateful for? You know, it impacted the business and impacted me personally and, for, and financially. But, okay, I can't do anything about that now. But what can I do? And so really it was just, it was just trying to refocus on, okay, well, this is what I still have today. I still have the company. I'm going to take it forward. And I'm just going to focus on what my outcome will be from this point forward and maybe not look at what it could have been, you know, or how they took away from that. And, uh, but it was hard. I mean, I, the self-talk that I had to do was super important. And just, I, and I think I did it for other people. I think when I realized I was having an impact and people around me, that's what gave me the strength to basically smack myself around. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, the self-smackdown. I did. I gave myself a good talking to. <laughs> well, you know what? I read something the other day that said uh, something so simple. It said one of the most undervalued things that we, or skill sets that people don't establish is it's a train for optimism. And mm-hmm. I thought three little words that it is a training. You said it, it's a choice. And yet sometimes we get in these like negative patterns of thinking and like that three months. I mean, what imagine if it had gone on longer, what it could have then kind of spiraled oh, into. Oh, I think it would have, it would have actually impacted my bottom line of my company because when you're taking on a challenge, like we have, you know, you have to keep that belief. You have to keep that positivity because we have an enormous amount an exorbitant amount of challenges when you're starting something up. So yeah, it was key. It was key to my own mental health, but the rest of the companies and the company still being here today. So let's segue to the company, your, your passion project and, and business right now with Resmen. Kind of lead us to how did that come about? And was this an overnight success as it some might seem from the outside? <sighs> I love that you said that. No, it was not. <laughs> no, so the funny thing, oh, so there's a joke, what doesn't kill you in the recession makes you build property management software, <laughs> is what we say in the company. So a lot of people don't realize this, but Resman, we never built it to sell it. In the beginning, um, so I accepted a job with a company that was a 1031 company. And I didn't really know about it. This is back in 2006, 1031s were still fairly new in the multifamily realm. Um, kind of changed because of a tax ruling back in 2002. So these companies started sprouting up that were the 1031 basically asset managers. And then you would hire in a third party management company. This particular group decided to start a management company underneath them, which was pretty unique at the time. Um, And so I was excited about this new opportunity, going to learn, it was going to add it to my resume. There weren't a lot of people doing it. Two fatal flaws. One, I never thought to ask them what property management software they were using because I had, there's only four at the time really. And um, I've been on all of them. And uh, so I failed to ask that. And then I didn't fully understand the dynamics of a 1031. So when I I started my first week, I realized that we had a AR only platform that was a proprietary platform that somebody's brother's cousin had made back in 1998. And they had built, you know, accounted for that to run the assets. And the group that formed this company had never had A and B assets. They'd had C and D assets. And they were family-owned, boutique management style. Um, they, while well, they had experience, you just, it, when it's others, people, other people's money, you need to run things differently. And on top of that, we had up to 34 investors per asset with equal voting rights. 
What a nightmare. Oh, they couldn't even read the sky was blue, much less what color. Um, so there's two. The third part of that was the brokers that helped put these deals together and structure these you know, 1031 deals put in non-credited investors to begin with who, who really were like relying on these returns to live off of, which they should never have been doing. And it wasn't just us, it was several 1031s. The other side of it too is there was you know, this um, expectation that these performers would be a guarantee. And the performers I had called for 10, I, good thing, I think you're sitting down, 10 to uh, 12% NOI growth year over year for 10 years solid. <laughs> okay. I literally went home to my husband after I took all this in. This was Monday through Friday. Um, I, I cried. I literally teared up. I was, I thought I just made the biggest mistake of my entire career taking this leap of faith, taking this risk. Um, what did I do to myself? And it was actually one of my previous employers, one of my best friends, um, Kristen Tenpenny with Contravest. And she said, you know what? Stick with it for a year. It's still going to be, it's going to look on your resume. And you know what? If anybody can figure that out, it's you. She goes, you might know nobody's going to hit those numbers. So you got to be up front with it right off the bat. But by God, you'll get as close as they can. And so I did. I, I thought through it. I came back in on that Monday with a plan. And I, and I, and this was October 2006. And I met with the, the owners and I said, okay, here's the deal. Number one, we need to accept these numbers are crap. Nobody can, you're not going to do that. And by the way, the recession's starting. So we're going to know we have to deal with this. I'm going to need budgets that are realistic, which, you know, are not going to be, you know, padded. They're not going to be um, too conservative, still be aggressive, but we know the recession's already starting. It's like, oh, by the way, I need software. <laughs> I have to have tools. Famous saying in multifamily, if you can't manage it, you can't measure it. And I can't see, I have no insight into anything. So they agreed that we would do this. And so I started assembling my team and you know, I thank God I had some of the best people in the industry come to work with us. Um, and slowly but surely we discovered we could not buy or uh, contract with another uh, property management system because my investors wouldn't agree to it. I couldn't get them to agree because the performance didn't have any money allotted to change software. So, I'm the, I'm either the smartest person or the dumbest person that said, well, we have this AR only platform. Why don't we just add to it? And keep in mind, I failed those. <laughs> I didn't pay attention enough. Um, famous last words. Um, so we did, we sought out, we brought, we went out to find a, a developer to hire into Sequoia, um, which is Nick Olson and he became our architect and he joined. So we were just going to add to it. First thing he says is, this is crap code. I can't use any of it. We're literally starting from scratch. So we did what's called agile, um, uh, you know, production. We literally, you know, I tackled for me, I had to figure out what was the most important things to do. And I knew it wasn't going to be up to me. So we would pull all of our teams together at Sequoia and we we're just honest and transparent with them. I said, look guys, you know, we're seeing more and more signs of what's happening in the recession. It's going to get worse. You know, everybody, we're looking for staff. We know we're going to, we're not going to fill those positions because um, everybody downsized in staff, which puts more work on, on our poor associates. Like, so we have the same, we, here's where we are today. We've got to get a, um, we've got to outperform a down market. Okay. That's a challenge. We've got to do it with less people. Oh, and by the way, less money coming in. Right. Um, after we got past the initial shock, the conversation we had was, but we can do this, but we got to do it together. And we have this opportunity 
to basically help you guys with tools, but you got to tell us what you need. And so we all came together and in the, you know, when we first started, I would hear things like, well, my old software did this, my old software, I was like, no, that's not what I want to hear. Tell me what's the most important tasks you need to accomplish on a day-to-day day-to-day basis to ensure that we get every dime out of this asset we can to help us have higher occupancies than our neighbors. What do you guys need? And it was funny because it always came back to the same thing. We spend too much time building reports that nobody reads because people still call us and ask us the same questions where the reports we sent them. We have too much paperwork with AP processing and payables. And it all just came down to we need more FaceTime with our customers. If we're going to get, you know, we know in a recession people are going to double up in apartments. They're going to move back home or they're going to double up in roommates. So if two roommates are having this discussion, we want the one that lives at our property to advocate to come here. We have to build emotional connections so that the person that's thinking about, man, do I give up my apartment, is willing to give up something else because they've had such a great experience here. They really, they're going to do everything they can to stay as long as they can. And the only way we're going to do that is they said they needed FaceTime. It's got to be an emotional connection and we got to create an experience. And so, okay, that's a great place to start. So then we asked them, you know, we looked at every position and every role and what they needed to accomplish and what would help them accomplish their goals. And then we brought the developers in with Nick and said, okay, here's what we need to accomplish. Let us figure out how to make that a shorter process, which is where like our one, two, three click technology came through and why we built Resmond's all, all of the different, um, you know, capabilities, whether it's maintenance or reporting or budgeting, counting, operations, all on one single platform was because we wanted, that's the only way we could really accommodate that ease of use in data integrity at the same time. Really much harder to do than we thought, but that's what we did. And um, that's how it started. And then we would roll it out, literally, like I would have a problem during the day, like I was getting hounded over delinquencies. So I'd pull up the team and we would talk about it and I'd get all these system managers together and managers, it's like, okay, you know, I think the industry standard at that time was like 2% of your effective gross income. We, we needed to get below that. We would really like to get down to like 0.5%. And when I understood the process they were all doing, I'm like, well, that sucks. So what we did is we, we made a point to build a dashboard module that they designed that allowed them to do all their interactions, just dot, 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 in one module right there on the, on the homepage, put in their notes, make a phone call with the IVR system where, you know, our phones were hooked up at the time to our computers and, make notes that then carried over to all the appropriate reports that they would normally have to go log in, put it in a communication log, put it in an age receivables report, write it down, type it in. And it just consolidated their efforts. So they were able to get through it so much faster. And I think we had one property that her, her delinquency changed so much. And she was one of the main contributors. She went to um, getting a bonus for 10 months straight for zero delinquency. And that is so it, cool. And that's how it ended up in the software. It's people like to give me a lot of credit for it, but I'm, I think I'm just the world's greatest translator between multifamily um, operators and associates to coders. <laughs> it's like I'm good at mockups and I'm good at communicating what what they were trying, what they need. <laughs> well, and you told me once that you would spend the evenings like late into the night trying to design the workflows and all the oh, yeah. different, yeah, the back yeah. end of it. I just added it up, believe it or not, because of something else we were doing. Um, because you know, I was, there was no payroll for Resmond, it, it was Sequoia. So that was a full-time job, which was definitely in excess of 40 hours a week. So I would stay up every single Monday night, Wednesday night, and then sometimes a Thursday night, but not the whole night, but definitely every Saturday and Sunday. And um, I would work on Resmond 
for our, for our own internal use. It is so cute. The only reason, and it's, I mean, what a great way for a software to come to market. The only reason our software went to market was because a, a wonderful manager we called Mighty Jet, her name was Mary Alice Kelly in San Antonio, Texas. Her property was up for property of the year. And when they came through and were doing the tours, they were really impressed about the physical condition of our asset, which was really a, I mean, they called it an A because it was, it was only five years old, right at five. But the amenity package they put in, that was a B. <laughs> and that was a, that's a stretch. Um, like there was a stabbing the day we were there for due diligence. Oh, no. Yeah, this was no A plus plus with bells and whistles, trust me. But her property was still performing really well in the midst of the recession. But her residents were so loyal and that property was immaculate. And they were asking how she had so much time. And she said, well, the entire staff goes out. We all pick up trash. We all take care of the condition. Well, how do you have time to do that? And for the office staff, it's like, oh, your work done. She says, well, it's because we use Resmin. They're like, well, what's a Resmin? So she literally showed them, took them in her office and showed her what was then the desktop only application of Resmin, which wasn't even that sexy, trust me. Um, and she showed it to them. And then somebody came back and told me, I don't think you guys know what you've created. You should sell it. And that's how it started. My goodness. What, <laughs> what a story that I just, I mean, it was like not in the plan originally. This yeah. was just, yeah. I mean, by like, by you being like, no, we've got to figure something out because we have no, no money. And no decision. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, guys, there's your cliffhanger. Isn't Elizabeth just such an incredible example? I love when she said, I run it like I own it. And so I think that passion can be a woman's superpower. How cool is that? I couldn't agree more. So you guys are going to have to wait in a couple of days. We'll release part two. So make sure that you're subscribed either on Spotify or iTunes to be notified. And as always, you can see all of our episodes at marketinghomemarketingyou.com. Next, we're going to talk about how Elizabeth got funding, how to find a mentor, and not always needing it to be inside of multifamily, how women network differently than men and how that could be holding you back, and then tips on dreaming a little bigger. You guys are going to want to hear this. So as always, it's been my pleasure to be here with you guys, and I'll see you in just a couple of days. <laughs>